five, four, three, two, one. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 47 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast, where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. If this is your first episode, I am your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM. You can call me Jordan. You can call me Sir. You can call me whatever you like. But you can find me on all socials at Sir DRJM. And of course, you can give me a follow. You can reach out to me there. You can engage with me. Send me topics, questions, comments, concerns, inquiries, anything you'd like me to bring to the show. And I happily will. Doesn't obviously, actually, I don't know if it is obvious. I've never said this before, but does not have to be related to Overwatch. Um, if you want to ask about my personal life, go for it. As long as it's not too personal, I'm happy to answer. And of course, help you get to know me as I hope to get to know you as well. Now, you can find this podcast over on all podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, all that fun stuff, please. It is greatly appreciated. And if you leave a review, of course, I'll read it out on the next episode. Now, for today's show, we are going to be looking at some surprising departures, a huge return to the league, the latest experimental card changes, and of course, we'll do our pickums for this weekend's matches. So, let's dive on in. Playtime's over. Now, of course, before I get uh, too far into the episode, I do want to uh, sort of talk a little, a little bit about what's going on in my life here, because we are in the midst of a heat wave, unlike we have we typically see in this uh, part of the country here now if you are familiar with what's going on in the world right now there's a heat wave through the pacific northwest now over in calgary alberta uh we are not quite getting the uh the brunt of that uh heat wave we are however definitely feeling it so right now i'm looking ahead at temperatures we've been up in the 30s celsius of course and looking at uh, the week upcoming, Wednesday we're looking at a high of 36, Thursday we're looking at a high of 37. Now, I know some of you out in the Seattle area, uh, Vancouver, up the coast there, again, Pacific Northwest, um, I know you're seeing temperatures in the 40, which is absolutely outrageous, but for us over on the other side of the mountains there, we are not used to this kind of heat. Uh, low 30s, maybe mid 30s, very rarely in the summer is what we see kind of thing. More often than not, we float I would say high 20s, just below that 30 range, you know, a 31, a 32, even a 30 is considered a very hot day. So we are all melting. Uh, I've got my entire house uh, family, of course, including dog and cat crammed into our basement where we are all sleeping because uh, it's the only way to keep cool in a house without air conditioning. So long story short, I'm sitting here sweating my shirt off. In fact, wearing a, uh, a muscle shirt because I can't take the heat right now. So this episode, I may sound a little out of breath. Now, on top of all that, there's actually a, uh, a air conditioning, air conditioning, uh, 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 air quality. That's what I'm looking for. There's an air quality warning right now for the province of Alberta, or at least for the Calgary area. And I've got a sore throat because of it. And on top of that, I woke up with some really awful allergies because, as I said, we're all in this basement together, meaning my cat, who I am allergic to, likes to sleep on my bed, and that causes my allergies to wreak havoc on me. So I'm not doing incredibly well right now. I've got a cup of tea here. You might hear it clank. That wasn't much of a clank. 
Yeah, that wasn't either. I don't I don't have a coaster, so you're just hearing it hit the desk. But I digress. You might hear that throughout the episode as I sip my tea, uh, my tea with honey to try and ease my throat. As well, I, uh, I've got some lozenges, but I'm going to try not to suck on them in the episode because I know how some of you do not like that. And of course, I've also got a glass of water with me. So you might hear some of that. I'll try to do it at breaks, but I digress. You got to do what you got to do. Now, on top of all that, I'm happy to announce I've got my second vaccine appointment tomorrow. That is booked for 12.20 p.m. So over my lunch break, I will be taken off to get that done. I will be coming back trying to make it through the rest of the workday. And then uh, July 1st is, of course, Canada Day. If you are celebrating or if you are not, uh, that is another matter. However, I am hoping that I don't have any side effects and can enjoy a day with my family. If I do, then I'm going to be laying in bed all day long. Uh, so yeah, we're going to try and make this episode, I mean, not short, but I'm going to try and get in, get out so that I can get a good night's rest before uh, entering into the high of 36 tomorrow. Looks like today we actually had a high of 38. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if we reached that because, oh boy, it was brutal today. So now that all that's out of the way, let's Hop on over to a little bit of a PSA I've got here. Public service announcement. I guess that's more of a breaking news noise, isn't it? But I digress. Um, the PSA is, of course, that Ashes Deadlock Challenge is still ongoing right now. Um, the event started on June 22nd and will run through July 5th. So just in case you are listening to this and you have yet to... Uh, uh, get your wins in there and get your rewards. Uh, make sure to hop on into the game before I believe the fifth would be next Tuesday. Uh, next Monday. Okay, so ends. You know, whatever. Uh, so get in there. You've got roughly one week left by the time you're hearing this. Slightly less than one week left. So get on in there. Get your wins. Get your skins. Uh, or not your skins. Get your sprays for watching on Twitch. All that fun stuff. And uh, ultimately get the wins to get the Deadlock Ash Legendary skin. Now. Without further final ado, let's move on on to the news. Whew, that was a lot. All right, so our first story is going to take us over to .esports.com, and this one actually dropped the day after, uh, well, I guess the same day my episode came out, um, so seemingly I missed this. However, uh, it hadn't actually dropped yet, but we're going to go over to .esports.com with an article by Liz Richardson, posted on June 23rd, which reads, Striker leaves San Francisco shock. Longtime DPS striker is parting ways with the San Francisco Shock, the Overwatch League team announced today. As one of the team's most important veteran players, often carrying fights with his deep hero pool, this move comes as a huge surprise to many in the Overwatch League. Stryker began his career as a part of the Boston Uprising in the first season of the Overwatch League, showing incredible promise as a Tracer player. He was transferred to the Shock after the 2018 season and immediately cemented himself as one of the most dangerous DPS players in the league. Stryker was a critical part of both the San Francisco Shocks championship wins and earned himself the title of Grand Finals MVP in 2020. No immediate reasons have been given for Stryker's departure from the team. Brett Lautenbach, the president of the Shocks ownership group, uh, sorry, ownership organization, NRG, wished Stryker a, quote, well-earned retirement, end quote, on social media, indicating that Stryker will not be transferred to another Overwatch League team. Stryker's apparent retirement is a huge blow to the San Francisco Shock, but several DPS players are waiting in the wings to fill his space on the starting roster. Hitscan specialist 
Glister, and Flex DPS Tayo are likely choices to play alongside Nero, who's been essential for the San Francisco Shock over the past two tournament cycles. The Overwatch League Summer Showdown Tournament cycle begins on June 25th, and San Francisco will face the Los Angeles Gladiators at 3.30pm CT. So um, go check out the tweet from San Francisco, which is embedded in the article, of course. They have a nice little parting video uh, that says, uh, you know, thank you to for thank you to Stryker for everything he did. Um, you know, it's just a little over a minute long, so, you know, really doesn't cost you anything to go watch that nice little farewell to Stryker. Um, they obviously value him extremely highly, as does most of the league. Um, you know, in my mind, Stryker definitely has that sort of goat candidate uh in in him um you know greatest of all time definitely huge tracer player but ultimately huge 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 impact on the shock all around um so anyways huge loss for the san francisco shock however in light of the events that came out right after that um you know maybe slightly less significant than we may have thought at the same time everyone of course wishes striker the best and uh was hopeful that san francisco might be able to pull something out of their pocket, you know, in theory, being one of those uh, other DPS players that uh, Liz mentioned in her article here. However, as it turned out, we're actually going to jump over to our next article and talk a little bit about what it might be. Next article is also by Liz Richardson on .esports.com and comes on June 23rd and reads, Ons returns to the San Francisco shock. It's never too late to come home, especially if you click heads as masterfully as Ons. The former San Francisco Shock hitscan expert announced today that he's returning to the Overwatch League and his previous team after retiring earlier this year. Ons, also known as Ons on Sniper, was a crucial part of the Shock during the team's dominant 2020 season and eventual championship win. Known for his immaculate aim on heroes like Widowmaker and McCree, he emerged as one of the... Uh, most dangerous rookie DPS players in the league last year. After winning the Overwatch League trophy alongside the rest of the San Francisco Shock, he retired from professional Overwatch. He spent the last few months pursuing a career in the Valorant scene, joining T1 and playing as a part of the organization's academy team. Much like former hitscan extraordinaire Pine, who recently came out of retirement to join the Dallas Fuel, Ons apparently couldn't resist the lure of the Overwatch League. Both snipers also cited mental health issues in their initial retirement, retirement messages, but appear to have come back stronger after spending time away from the league. Ons may now step in to fill the hitscan role left by Stryker, who announced his surprising retirement from the Shock, yesterday, uh, shock roster earlier today. Sorry, The San Francisco Shock's next game is against the Los Angeles Gladiators on June 25th at 3.30pm no, CT. So, there you have it. Uh, you know, sort of a wham-bam, one-two punch of stories there. Um, you know, if if Stryker leaving the San Francisco Shock didn't shock, <laughs> didn't shock you enough, Ons returning the San Francisco Shock is huge. Uh, definitely unexpected after you know uh, he he retired due to his his health mentally and you know all of that stuff that uh, we discussed on past episodes. Um, you know he was very very open and forthcoming about how he had struggled throughout the season uh, with some mental health issues and he really needed some time to recover and kind of bounce back from that and then of course later on in the in the um in the middle of the overwatch league season you know not excuse me not playing with the san francisco shock but or or in the league but in the middle of the season he announced that he was joining t1 to play valorant um so you know a huge huge win for the valorant scene it would seem as long as he can click heads like he did in the overwatch league which uh from what i've heard doesn't sound like he truly was but i digress 
Um, and to now announce that he's returning to the San Francisco Shock, just absolutely huge and certainly uh, one of the most impactful players, I think, from last season. So it'll be incredibly interesting to see what kind of an impact he can make on San Francisco. And obviously we did see them play the weekend following this announcement, which was great because oftentimes when we see these uh, these player signings and, you know, whatever, uh, yeah, moves and things like that, Oftentimes, we don't see the player playing with the team the weekend following or the week following that announcement. Uh, you know, it seems like maybe approvals in the league or even just, you know, um, playing on ping, getting them to the team house, that kind of thing. Maybe visas. All of that stuff usually seems to take a little bit longer. So I do wonder if San Francisco's known about potentially both of these things. It kind of held their cards for a while, um, you know, prior to uh, to announcing these changes until they were sure that Ons, you know, Stryker could step out and Ons could step right in, uh, obviously, to set them up for the most success possible, given both of these announcements. So anyways, I digress. Ons uh, definitely will be clicking heads and ripping them to shreds. And I think we all look forward to seeing his play again. Moving on from there. We're actually going to, once again, stick with .esports.com, once again, talk to Liz Richardson, and this time on June 24th, where we will read about Overwatch's latest experimental card adjusts hitscan damage. That's the title of this article here. Let's dive in. It's been nearly a full month since the Over... Nope, since Overwatch players got to test out a new experimental card. But today, the developers have come back to the drawing board with some huge changes. The June 24th experimental card proposes a sweeping change to Hitscan Hero's long-range abilities, knocking off a full 20% damage at maximum falloff range. This would massively affect how Hitscan Heroes operate, forcing them to get closer to enemies and teamfights to be effective. There are also hero changes, most notably to D.Va's overpowered Calm Mech ability, which changes how Echo players can take advantage of her self-destruct ultimate. Soldier 76 and Bastion are also getting some minor buffs too. As usual, these changes are being tested and are only available on the experimental card, which can be accessed on Overwatch's homepage. There's no guarantee these adjustments will make it to the live servers in their current, current form or at all. Now, I'm going to put a little asterisk there because oftentimes we do see these changes making it into the live game um, to an extent. More often than not, there are some from an experimental card patch that make it and there are some that don't. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see, you know, maybe I think what usually happens is the majority of the changes do. It's kind of one way or the other. Either the majority of the changes do and, you know, one or two don't, or it's the exact opposite and only one or two of the changes do make it in and the rest don't. So let's continue reading. Hitscan damage adjustment. The biggest proposed change in this experimental card is a widespread adjustment to how hitscan damage works at long distances. Hitscan damage now scales to 30% at maximum falloff range, down from 50% for the following heroes, Ash, Baptiste, Bastion, McCree, Soldier 76, Widowmaker, Wrecking Ball. Hitscan heroes, or those with weapons that experience no delay from shot to damage, will now experience lower damage when aiming from farther distances. If a McCree attempts to shoot a hero outside of the Peacekeeper's intended range, for example, he'll only inflict 50% of the weapon's damage in the current patch, with this update, that damage is dropped to 30%. Quote, This change may be difficult to notice immediately as it scales damage over a range slightly more than before, but it will lower the impact of hitscan damage outside of their intended optimal ranges, the developers said. Now, we have the uh, updates here broken out by hero. I'm going to read, I'll read the bullet point from the actual patch notes or experimental patch notes on each of these, but I'm not going to read Liz's description because some of them just aren't really worth reading into too much more. So first we start with Bastion. Configuration, recon, weapon spread reduced from 1.5 to 1.2. That one, pretty obvious. 
Uh, Diva and Echo, call mech damage area reduced from 3 to 2.5 meters. No longer builds ultimate charge while using self-destruct after the mech detonates. Every Overwatch League fan should be happy about this proposed change. After D.Va was given a massive buff to call mechs damage in April, Echo players in the League abused the ability as much as humanly possible when copying the hero. This nerf changes the large call mech damage radius and stops Echo players from continually building ultimate charge well when duplicating D.Va. Quote, Echo's accelerated ultimate charge enabled her to have call mech available before the self-destruct explosion went off, making it very difficult for enemies to find a safe place to hide. End quote, the developers said. So obviously the impact of that one is is fairly obvious as Liz described it there. You know, an, an Echo duplicating a D.Va could build up the ult, uh, the um, the uh, self-destruct ult could launch that self-destruct or, you know, just bail out of the mech and trigger the self-destruct, but then also chase down a player as the D.Va and be ready to call down the mech to get additional damage outside of the uh, explosion of the uh, self-destruct. So it kind of was like, you know, normally D.Va pops out of the mech and everyone runs in terror from the explosion to hide or take cover. But then what was happening now was the Echo as the D.Va would then also chase down a player or players because they would have their call mech ability available before that explosion had gone off. So they could actually call down the mech and do an additional, um, I think it was like 200 damage uh, from the call mech landing. So easily enough to take out um, most DPS players, a lot of support players. Um, and, you know, in most cases when someone is damaged, almost anybody. So anyways, that's, that's a, I mean, down from 3 to 2.5 meters, that's not the important part of this. The important part is no longer builds ultimate charge while using self-destruct until after the mech detonates, right? So, moving on from there, Soldier 76. Heavy pulse rifle damage falloff is disabled while tactical visor is active. Widowmaker. Widowmaker's kiss damage falloff range increased from 60 to 85 to 70 to 100 meters. So, this, uh, this change essentially negates the larger change that they mentioned at the beginning where hit scan damage now scales to 30% at maximum fall off range down from 50%. This basically compensates that and makes it so that Widowmaker still has that, uh, you know, long range role that she is really truly built for. What's kind of interesting to me is that it's only really Widowmaker. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that we don't see other sniper focused uh, characters having that. Um, I could see them doing a similar kind of thing for Ash, but maybe Ash only when uh, when scoped, because that is really the the, the precise aiming mode with Ash. Um, I could even see it for Hanzo, or I could see an argument for it being the case for Hanzo. But obviously Hanzo, without having you know even even when he's got his uh, bowstring drawn, it's not like he has increased uh, uh, viewpoint or anything like that, or, or is is scoped or anything. So maybe not. But I digress. So that's what we're looking at when it comes to the, um, just going to adjust my mic there. I just looked at the levels and they look a little low for the episode. There we go. Maybe I'm talking a little softer because my voice is going on me. I digress. That's what we're looking at for the experimental card adjustments. Um, it truly will be really interesting to see if these make it into the live game, given how significantly they do affect um, the range on many of the most popular DPS uh, characters to play. Obviously, if this does become live, then we're going to see a lot more DPS players uh, being forced to come in and play a lot less of that range. And honestly, outside of Widowmaker, um, you know, seeing them become a lot more involved in sort of the, the overall brawl or fight that's ongoing. 
Now, one of the things I did here as well was that this uh, this kind of seems a little bit like maybe it's prepping for the uh, 5v5 change in Overwatch 2, given how differently that will play with, um, or will need to play with a single tank instead of, uh, you know, a tank and an off tank. But I digress, that's speculation. So moving on from there, our next story comes by way of thegamehouse.com by Jordi Garcia on June 28th and reads Spark Release Rookie Tank Player Takoyaki. Following the release of the release of Veteran Godsby last week, the Hangzhou Spark have released tank player Takoyaki into the Owl free agency pool. The news broke late Sunday evening on social media accompanied by a farewell video. Takoyaki unfortunately did not get as much playtime as he probably wanted as he went into his first year in the league. The Korean main tank player made his Overwatch League debut early on in the state in the season against the Philadelphia Fusion on April 24th. Takoyaki would decidedly play the majority of his time on Winston, logging in just over 25 minutes in total for the season so far. After a 3-1 loss in Hangzhou's first game of the season, the team never decided to bring Takoya Takoyaki sorry, back into the lineup, opting instead to for building chemistry between mainstay Gushui and his new off-tank player uh, partner Bernard. Spark announced Takoyaki's acquisition on November 17, 2020, citing his former Element Mystic prowess. The announcement came alongside McD, uh, McD's roster announcement just a day prior. While McD's rookie campaign has gone better, Takoyaki's season was also plagued with visa issues. This, in turn, could be a major reason for his release. In conclusion, Hangzhou's roster at the beginning of the season was boasted as a robust but large group. These past couple of weeks, however, have seen the team prune their shortcomings and try and nip in the bud some, for a lack of better term, expendable members. TGH will keep an eye on the organization. Uh, sorry, will keep an eye out if the organization decides to continue to work on its roster as the Owls' movement deadline looms. The Spark play their next match against the New York XL on Friday, July eighth at two a.m. PST. So there you have it. Obviously, uh, we wish the best to Takoyaki. Hopefully, he will be able to find a team if he so desires. Um, doesn't sound like he necessarily wanted to bounce from the team, but sounds like, you know, uh, the cards just, or the, the planets just wouldn't align uh, to give him the success that he needed on the team. So there you have it. Next up, we're going to go over to ESTNN.com with an article by Ophelia Castellot on June 28th, which reads, Overwatch League, Houston Outlaws releases hydration. The Houston Outlaws part part ways with hydration. As the team is headla is heading, sorry, I'm all over the place right now. Obviously, you can probably hear I'm a little bit more stuffed up than I was at the start of the episode as well. I digress. As the team is heading to the Overwatch League 2021 Summer Showdown Tournament, the Houston Outlaws decided to part ways with hydration. They've then got the tweet embedded, which announced it. The Houston Outlaws decided to make some changes in their roster following their mixed results in the Overwatch League so far. The team didn't make it into either the May Melee or the June Joust Tournament Finals, despite good results during the qualifiers. The first announcement of this mid-season for the Houston Outlaws is the release of Hydration. The flex player joined the team for the Overwatch League 2020 season after two years with the Los Angeles Gladiators. With the Outlaws, Hydration proved to be able to play at a professional level on both DPS and Tank Heroes. Well, within Houston Outlaws, Hydration was up against three other DPS and three tank players. On the DPS line, Dante, Happy, and KSF are able to handle most situations. Piggy and Jonggu, the two former Talon Esports tanking duo, hold the front line. In case they need backup, former Los Angeles Valiant, Dreamer is also a part of the tanking lineup of the Houston Outlaws. 
in a twit longer. Hydration declared stepping back from competitive play, but not from streaming. The Brazilian-American player hinted at a comeback with Overwatch 2, even though the release date is still unknown to this day. So, yet again, another player. Wish them all the best, um, and uh, wish all the best to the Houston Outlaws as well. Um, kind of interesting there. I actually didn't realize Houston's roster was that large. Um, you know, I just didn't know they had so many uh, DPS, and I mean, only three, but still. And then him being yet another tank player. Um, I certainly don't think we'd seen his, him playing much just between Piggy and Jangu playing. Uh, they, they, the two of them were definitely, as they mentioned here, sort of the mainstay, the main tank line for, uh, for the Houston Outlaws, and certainly a successful and a strong looking one. Um, you know, most of the success Houston has had, I think that's been a key part of it. And I've been largely impressed with Piggy and Jongu's play, uh, throughout the entire season. So we'll see what happens there. Um, sounds like he's stepping back from play, but he may return with Overwatch too. So we may see the return of hydration eventually. Now, with that, that actually takes us to the end of the news section of our show. Um, and I'm going to make an executive decision here because, as I mentioned there, my voice and I, in particular, am fading. Um, so I'm actually not going to do the IBM Watson power rankings this week. Uh, we will return to them next week, assuming I'm feeling okay by then. And if I'm not, I might be dead. Uh, but we are still going to take a brief look at the last week's matches in the Overwatch League in our Owl Recap. Playtime's over. All right, so let's head on over to the Overwatch League schedule from week 11. And, of course, our first game of last week was on Friday, June 25th, where we saw the London Spitfire taking on the Paris Eternal. Now, actually, I'm going to do something real quick right here, and I'm going to go ahead and view my results of my predictions from last week side by side against these scores and we're gonna see how i did where did it go there it is i've got it here okay so looking at this uh first up we had the london spitfire taking on the paris eternal and uh just like i predicted paris took it three to one um, I actually, I should put the caveat on this as well. I didn't watch a ton of Overwatch League this past uh, weekend, just given time constraints and a lot of life stuff going on. Um, but ultimately, uh, I'm trying to remember if I did watch this match. I don't believe I did. No, I did not. Um, I didn't expect too much out of it. Um, but from what I heard, you know, London continues to look uh, like they are on the upswing, but not nearly as much as Paris, uh, as we will discuss in a moment. So, good job, Paris. Moving on from there, uh, our next Friday game, June 25th, was the Los Angeles Gladiators taking on the San Francisco Shock. Now, I did follow my heart and trust in the San Francisco Shock, and I awarded them the win with a 3-1 to one score. I really thought that the Glads were going to be the same Glads we had been seeing uh, in the May Melee and the June Joust. However, um, you know, uh, they showed up and uh, took the took the win 3-2. Um, not that San Francisco looked bad, and as I mentioned before, you know, we saw Ons play, which was great, and he definitely was still popping off. It really just... This was a close, close match, and San Francisco obviously almost took it, um, but ultimately Glads just looked really strong, looked like maybe they had sorted out most of their issues, um, and they were really uh, really able to take control when they needed to and clutch it out. Now, 
We'll talk about them a little bit more in a minute here. So next up, we went over to the Eastern region for our first June 26th game with the Hangzhou Spark taking on the Los Angeles Valiant and 3-0ing them. No surprise there. And if I scroll on down to my Eastern region predictions, I nailed that one. Then we saw the Seoul Dynasty taking on the Chengdu Hunters in a 3-1 score, and I did not believe in Seoul. I should have. I should have known Chengdu would Chengdu. And I mean, Seoul is such a hard team to predict these days because they are so all over the place. You never really know which, which Seoul is going to show up. And at this rate, it is largely looking like it's probably going to be, I mean, if this these next couple of weeks keep up as this uh, past week did, it's going to be Shanghai and Seoul likely in the, uh, in the summer showdown tournament. But anyways, uh, Seoul took it three to one. I unfortunately believed in Chengdu, so I was just wrong there. After that, we went on over to the Guangzhou Charge, taking on the New York Excelsior. And Guangzhou did take it with a record of 3-2. and two. I unfortunately said they would take it with 3-1, and one, but I digress. There you have it. Then we went back over to the Western region to watch the London Spitfire take on the San Francisco Shock. Now, San Francisco here clutched out the win, took it 3-2. to two. So, really interesting, but as I mentioned, we again continue to see London figuring things out, London making changes and adapting and stepping their game up. I mentioned against Paris, you know, it was 3-1 to one against Paris, so I said, you know, London seemed good, but not great, seemed like they're still making positive progress. However, taking the San Francisco shock to 5 is really truly impressive especially for them so this is a match that london should have been really proud of and i'm sure they were and holy cow if they had won this they <laughs> now that, that would have been really impressive they would have been definitely been the big winners of the weekend even though they were big winners but it would have been incredible um, i digress um, I don't think I watched this match because I really thought San Francisco, I mean, I chose it was going to be a 3-0. and I thought San Francisco was going to roll them. Um, but San Francisco is seemingly having some team issues right now. You know, they've definitely got some synergy to work on there, which is surprising because in, in past seasons, they've always had a lot of that already. They've always been able to figure it out pretty quickly. Um, and this season seems like they're just, you know, struggling more than they ever have. So after that, we saw the Florida Mayhem take on the Toronto Defiant. And... This one, uh, I I got zero points in my pickums for it, goddammit. But I had the score opposite. I gave the win to Florida, saying they would take it 3-2. Toronto wound up taking it 3-2. Florida extends uh, their loss streak at that point to four games in a row. However, as we'll find out on Sunday when they play the Boston Uprising, they then extended their loss streak to five games in a row. Florida is really struggling right now. So ultimately, I was proud of the, or or I don't know if proud is the right word, but I was happy to see the Toronto Defiant take this win, uh, given, given I'm a fan of both Toronto and Florida. But ultimately, I'm mostly just confused at what's going on with Florida. Both these two teams, Florida and Toronto, started off the season in the May Melee Tournament looking, in my mind, really good. I've said it once, I've said it twice, I've said it a number of times. I thought both of these teams just like the San Francisco Shock, actually, looked like they were coming fresh off an offseason, looked like they had largely new teams, looked like they were strong, competitive, um, you know, 
full of really great players and they just needed to figure out sort of their team synergy they just needed to get a little bit more cohesion you know maybe figure out the shot calling a little better maybe you know um really iron out some of that team play some of that teamwork and how to work together and i said after or early on in the may melee tournament if toronto and florida in particular can figure out their problems and really nail down what they need to do to make that next step up to join that next tier of play then they would be uh forces to be reckoned with they would be you know dominant top tier maybe top five teams in the league this season and then as time went on i think we saw exactly what i expected um now granted may melee florida did make it to hawaii and uh i i think they appeared to be on an upward trajectory after losing in the may melee they appear to very much be on a downward trajectory, which, you know, no surprise given they had lost number five, number, whatever, four and then five losses in a row this past weekend. But it really looked like my fears were realized and uh, Toronto was struggling to, you know, answer those questions that I had or, or, or fill in those gaps that I identified early on. It obviously now appears that Toronto maybe figuring some of that out. I mean, the win against Florida is big for them. Their next match, though, is a little bit harder to say if it was really them figuring anything out or it was more strength of schedule because their next match to close out the weekend was a Battle of Canada against Vancouver. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I guess what I'm saying is uh, I don't think either of these teams at this at this stage can really say they've figured out their problems. Florida especially, Florida really truly seems to be having more problems than they ever were, um, which is really, really too bad because I'm rooting for these guys. I love BQB and Yaki. Um, and I mean, in large part, I think last season when we saw them have the success they did, even in the May Melee, we really saw the two of them popping off, and I don't think they quite are as much now, um, which, you know, maybe things were a little tilted that direction, and maybe that's why they're struggling now. I digress. Um, Toronto, I'm excited to see play again because if they can keep this momentum going, if they can build off these wins and really, um, really, you know, use these wins to analyze and figure out, okay, what were our weaknesses in these games and how can we make sure not to show those again, then I think Toronto can keep on this upward trajectory. Florida... I think needs some very deep analysis on their part to figure out what's going on because Florida appears to just be crumbling and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart, man. Moving on from there, the Vancouver Titans took on the Boston uprising and I nailed this one. Boston wins three to one. Uh, not a huge surprise there. I think I mentioned last week on my predictions, if ever there was a match that Vancouver had a chance of winning, uh, you know, I mean, technically speaking, I think it would be against London, but Boston was only one, you know, London is one spot ahead of Vancouver and Boston is one spot ahead of them. So Boston was a good chance for them to, you know, at least get two maps instead of one kind of thing this season. But alas, they got their one map that they, you know, sometimes get against good teams. So good for them. But Boston ultimately coming out with a win. Boston, I'm impressed with. Honestly, I, I truly... Boston is kind of an underdog that you got to root for, even though you don't really have that much faith that they're going to do that well. Um, 
it's it's fun to watch them excel and and have success i'll say so moving on from and maybe that's just because as far as i've always known boston they've always sucked um i didn't watch you know the uh, the first season of the Overwatch League and came in late on the second season even. So anyways, I digress. Moving on from there, June 27th, we move over to the Eastern region again where the Hangzhou Spark take on the Seoul Dynasty and I gave it to Hangzhou 3-1 to and Seoul clutched it out 3-0. and So again, Seoul looking dominant somehow. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know. Seoul wakes up and decides chaos and they just win. That's, that's how I view them. Um, anyways, moving on from there. Chengdu took on the Guangzhou Charge, and Chengdu came out with the win, 3-0. I had it 3-1, so I did get points for this, but didn't quite nail it, but that's okay. Then, finally, the New York Excelsior took on the Los Angeles Valiant, and 3 0 them, just like I did predict. Moving on from there, we went into the final Sunday games, kicking things off with the Los Angeles Gladiators against the Paris Eternal. Now, I did tune into this match, and holy heckin' hell, Wow, that was good. I said heckin' like I wasn't going to swear, and then I said hell, but I digress. Um, this was a match to watch, man. I My preds got blown out of the water by this one. I thought LA was going to take it 3-1. to one. I did give Paris that one map, because again, I think Paris is doing well and looking strong. But Paris got their second win of the weekend here. Um, you know, clutching it out 3-2. to two. They took the Los Angeles Gladiators to five maps. And if I'm not mistaken, they completed it in a reverse sweep, which is was just insane. Um, especially against a team like the Los Angeles Gladiators, which earlier in the weekend, a lot of people were praising as, you know, here's the team we were promised. Here's the team we thought we were getting this season. Um, but ultimately what it came down to was Paris making really solid adaptations to their play um, to, to counter the Los Angeles Gladiators. And the Los Angeles Gladiators not adapting and thinking they could just brute force their way through Paris, which really bit them in the ass, obviously. Um, and uh, really kind of shows in my mind what Paris is capable of. Um, to me, this came across very Shanghai Dragons versus Dallas Fuel in the uh, uh, June joust. Obviously, different levels of play, very different levels of play, but the adaptations Shanghai was able to make in order to overcome the uh, the, 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 the monster that was the Dallas Fuel in the very beginning of the um, finals of the June joust, you know, the comparison is definitely there to Paris being able to overcome the challenge that was the Los Angeles Gladiators. So really, really, really good for Paris to win this. Um, I hope we see Paris continue to get a lot of success because going into this season, I think a lot of people, I mean, just like last season, had them ranked very, very lowly. However, uh, very, very low, sorry. However, last season, I think it was a lot of people didn't believe in them. Um, you know, people didn't really trust the players they had to be all that impressive. Whereas this season, it's more a case of at the end of last season, we saw the Paris organization nuke their whole team. Um, you know, they didn't bring back a lot of players that people thought they would. And it seemed like they had some really big budget constraints that they were working with. And because of that, they had to bring in a lot of rookie talent um, and a lot of uh, a lot of lower level players who you didn't really think would be that impressive. And even they've had some turnover in the middle of the season. But uh, a lot of their newer players that they've brought in, you know, over the past couple of weeks are really step stepping up. Um, Dridro comes to mind. And so does Vestola, obviously. And ultimately... I think everyone's just impressed with Paris. So honestly, I, I, I could cheer for Paris. I could cheer for Paris. They're another good underdog team this season, um, if if that's who you're looking for. So there you have it. Paris takes it 3-2. to two. 
Moving on from there, the Boston Uprising take on the Florida Mayhem and award Florida their fifth loss in a row and in a 3-0 fashion. Uh, again, I didn't did not predict this. I put Florida winning at 3-1. Um, I don't know what, what is going on with Florida, but they've got some shit to figure out. Um, but, it, you know, Boston, <laughs> great job. Huge confidence boost for them, honestly. Um, you know, but like I say, Boston, another great underdog team right now. So moving on from there, our final match of the weekend I already mentioned uh, was the uh, Battle for Canada Part 2. I believe this is the second time we've had one this season. Toronto Defiant taking on the Vancouver Titans. Not much to say here. Toronto getting the win, um, you know, like I said earlier, partially strength of schedule, but hopefully gives them that extra momentum push to really continue building and get some further success. So that is your previous week in the Overwatch League. And now we're going to take a quick look at the upcoming games in the Overwatch League uh, for the weekend of Friday, June 2nd through, uh, sorry, July 2nd through July 4th. And of course, we will do my pickums. Oh, uh, we have to get this thing moving again. All right. So let's, uh, I got to pop my browser back up here. Hold on. We're going to drag my pickums over there. And we're going to minimize you, and we're going to hop on over to here. And let's take a look at next week's games. So we're going to start with, I'll start with the Eastern region. I don't normally do that, but given I don't follow the Eastern region truly, uh, I think it'll be good to just knock them out real quick. Philadelphia Fusion taking on the, taking on the Guangzhou Charge. Now, I do also want to go Overwatch League standings. And I'm just going to pull this up because I find, you know, not like this reveals a ton, but I do like to know where uh, where teams are sitting. So in the eastern region, Philadelphia not looking great. That is for sure. I want to look at the season as a whole, though. Yeah, Philadelphia is still riding high in third position or in third place, but a lot of that is based on their early success, not, you know, more recent success. If I flip the scoreboard over to the Summer Showdown qualifiers, Right now, I mean, Philly haven't played, so <laughs> they, they don't rank. Uh, neither have the Shanghai Dragons, um, so they also don't rank. So this could be a hard one to predict. Uh, the Guangzhou Charge, on the other hand, have one win, one loss. Um, I'm going to say Philadelphia. Oh, I want to give it to Philly. I just don't think they're going to pull it out. So I'm going to say the Guangzhou Charge take it three to one. After that, oh, this is on July 3rd, of course, Saturday, July 3rd. After that, we have the Seoul Dynasty taking on the Shanghai Dragons. And I'm going to say Shanghai comes out rip-roaring, uh, ready to play. But what Seoul shows up, hey? Ain't that the question? Seoul sitting pretty at the top of the rankings right now with a 2-0. and I'm going to say Shanghai takes it. I'm going to say they take it 3-2. to mm, It could be 3-1. to Yeah. Okay, I'm changing it to 3-1. No, I'm changing. I'm leaving it 3-2. 3-2. I might change that. We'll see. Um, Next up here, we have, on Sunday, July 4th, the Seoul Dynasty taking on the Guangzhou Charge. And this time around, I'm going to say Seoul clutches it out. 3-2. Do I want to go 3-0? <laughs> That's what I'm deciding right now. I'm going to go 3-0. I'm going to give it to Seoul. What the hell? I'll do it. Final game of Sunday in the Eastern region is the Shanghai Dragons taking on the Philadelphia Fusion. Uh, I really wish Philly was doing better right now, given how they came out at the start of the season and had such a 
such a great start. But ultimately, I just don't see them having much success, especially against the Shanghai Dragons. So I'm going to give it to the Philadelphia... No, sorry. <laughs> my bad. To the Shanghai... Oh my god, I lost my pickings. Where, where the hell did they go? There we go. Going to give it to the Shanghai Dragons 3-0. and now, for some reason, my pickums don't want to save again. So bear with me one sec while I fix that. All right, now that I got that fixed up, let's scroll on back to the Western region. So Friday, July 2nd. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This, this pains me. We have the Paris Eternal taking on the San Francisco Shock. Oh, doctor. I mean, if we're being realistic here, how is San Francisco in the second spot? Man. San Francisco. Something's wrong there. Something's wrong there. 2021 regular season. I'm just looking at the standings here. San Francisco is in second place with eight wins and two losses. Whereas Dallas is in first. Oh, it's that's right. It's points-based. That's why. Okay. 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 Well... Do I bet on the underdog here? Do I call doom and gloom for the San Francisco Shock? I'm going to come back to that match. That match is hard-ass to predict. I'm going to jump to the next match on Friday, July 2nd. The Washington Justice against the Atlanta Reign. Oh, man. <laughs> this is another hard match to predict. Atlanta Reign obviously having some success in the previous uh, tournament cycle, whereas Washington Justice still yet to make it to a tournament. I honestly feel like this de depends on if De Decay plays or not. He is the deciding factor when it comes to what we've seen on the Washington Justice, if you ask me. Um, when he doesn't play, they seem to lose. And when he does play, they seem to win. I, I do think that is what's been trending. Uh, that may not be the case every time. But I think if you look at most of their games that they've lost, I don't think Decay was playing. Ultimately, I think... Washington is the better team, uh, especially given the meta that we're seeing take shape. But I don't think Atlanta is to be underestimated, so I'm going to give it to Washington 3-2. to two. I'm giving Atlanta more credit than I want to because, again, I always talk about this, I don't really like the Atlanta reign. Uh, at the same time, I don't really like the Washington Justice either. So we're going to go with that. We're going to give it a 3-2 win for the Washington Justice. Moving on to Saturday, July 3rd, the Paris Eternal will take on the Vancouver Titans. I'm going to give it to the Paris Eternal 3-2. Does Vancouver get a get a win? I mean, a map off of Paris? Uh, 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 uh. I don't think they do. Vancouver's taken maps off of a lot of good teams or a lot of decent teams. But I think with Paris's momentum, I think they're going to come into this weekend hot, especially if they win that first match on Friday against the San Francisco Shock. Now, can they win that match? I still don't know. I'm not decided on that yet. But let's look at the next game on Saturday, July 3rd, which is the Dallas Fuel against the Florida Mayhem. Oh, that's that's tough. Florida, poor Florida, honestly. Florida's going to get beat on that match as well. Dallas is going to take it 3-0, unfortunately. I don't see any other way that doesn't happen. If Florida manages to pull out a win against Dallas, it's going to be really incredible. It's going to be great for them, obviously. Um, I will be thrilled, but I just don't see it happening. Moving on from there, uh, still on Saturday, July 3rd, the Houston Outlaws will take on the San Francisco Shock. And again, such a hard match to predict given how the Shock have been performing lately. Um, man, oh 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 man. 
what do I want to do? San Francisco, obviously, this past weekend got a win against London, but London only ahead of the Vancouver Titans in the standings. So, you know, that one is expected for any team to win. The only team I would question winning against London at this point, other than Vancouver, is probably Florida, honestly, just given how Florida has been performing lately. Which, again, pains me to say, but I don't know if Florida would be... I would still give Florida the the edge. I would say their experience, you know, um, their experienced players and their experience with the league, I would say gives them the edge. But I still think London could have a chance, right? So, um, anyways, I'm getting off track here. I'm talking about San Francisco. <laughs> uh, San Francisco uh, gets beat out by the Glads, takes them to five. San Francisco beats London, gets taken to five. Ultimately, I think Houston... Oh, but Ons. After more practice time with the team, does Ons clutch this out? I think Shock's going to take them to five, or Houston's going to take them to five, whichever way you want to phrase that. I think Houston clutches out the win um, and takes it three to two. Man, these are some good matchups. I'm, I'm into it. This is, this is exciting. Uh, Saturday, July 4th, uh, we then have... Wait, Saturday, Sunday, July 4th. That makes more sense. My bad. We have the Atlanta Rain taking on the Dallas Fuel in a rematch from the uh, June Joust there. I think Dallas is still going to clutch out the win. Uh, and I honestly, I don't think Atlanta is going to be as strong as they looked in the June Joust. Um, so I'm going to give it to Dallas 3-1. to one. Next up, the Vancouver Titans take on the Houston Outlaws. I'm going to give it to Houston 3-0. and oh. I just don't see Vancouver even getting a map against them. Um, <laughs> for my pred sakes, hopefully Houston is feeling hot. Moving on from there, final match of the weekend, double points on the Pickums, Washington Justice versus the Florida Mayhem. Again, com- especially coming off their sixth straight loss on Saturday, July 3rd. <sighs> I want to give Florida at least a map against Washington. I just don't see them getting the win. I think Washington's going to get two wins this weekend. I think Florida is going to extend their loss streak to seven and fall to, let's see, what would that be? That would be four and eight. So four wins, eight losses. I mean, Vancouver, I have them getting two losses here as well. So they will go zero and 12. And then I have, uh, oh, and then London doesn't play this weekend. So that's, you know, they will stay at zero and 10, but. That's what I'm going to go for for that. Now, the only question is, we come back to that Friday matchup of July 2nd, which who, at the at the beginning of the season, I mean, honestly, before this past weekend, uh, before the kickoff of the summer showdown, who would have thought that Paris-San Francisco would be a hard match to predict? And this largely is coming off the back of Paris's um, fantastic showing against the Los Angeles Gladiators. Um you know, Paris obviously clutching the win against London 3-1 to on Friday. But really, it's that reverse sweep against the Los Angeles Gladiators that shows they can they can perform at a very high level and can beat some of these top teams, right? Um, man, I'm really struggling with this one. I just don't know. San Francisco is honestly more of the question mark in this. Given San Francisco's performances this past weekend, you know, a loss to the Glads, you know, nothing nothing to wave your finger at there. Um, many teams would lose to the Glads, especially looking as good as they did look this past weekend. But London taking you to five is not something that should be happening for any team 
honestly below Paris, below Boston in seventh place right now, honestly. Um, you could even, oh my God, you could make an argument for fifth, but whatever, I digress. Um, I think I'm going to go and give this to Paris. I do think, given both of San Francisco's matches went five, I do think this is going to be a close one. I'm going to I'm gonna root for Paris this weekend, honestly. Uh, you know, my Florida Mayhem aren't winning this weekend. I mean, San Francisco Shock, who I decided to be a fan of this season after, you know, rooting against them every other season, um, <laughs> aren't performing. So I, I don't care to root for them very much. Uh, honestly, I think maybe Paris is my team this season. Am I, am I that crazy? Am I going to do that? Is Paris going to be my team? Am I going to order some merch with a big cock on it? Sorry, pardon pardon my French. <laughs> that was a really good joke, actually. <laughs> come on, come on. You got to give me some credit there. If anybody listens to this podcast out there and gets this far in, please tweet at me that that was a great French joke because I am malding at how great that was. Um, I'm giving it to Paris. I'm saying they're going to take it three to two. San Francisco is going to put up a fight. Definitely. If Ons does not, I think Ons could be the deciding factor here. I think this could be going to five. And because of a few clutch headshots that Ons pulls off, I think that could be the deciding factor, um, swaying it in favor of San Francisco. But I'm really going to be rooting for, uh, for the Frenchies this weekend. So there you have it. That is my pickums. And with that, we're going to wrap up the show. So let's head on over to the outro. Excuse me for dropping in. All right. Thank you, party people, for listening to episode 47 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch podcast. This is, of course, as you know, if you have gotten this far in, a podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch, including my, pardon me, of course, the Overwatch League. If this was your first episode and you're just getting to know me, I am your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM. Why not follow me on all socials, but especially Twitter, where you can reach out to me, engage with me, topics, questions about anything. Uh, I will bring them to the show next week, and I am happy to uh, discuss and uh, such, interact with you. Now, you can, of course, find this podcast and all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. Give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, all that fun stuff. And if you find a podcast service that you can't find the podcast on, then reach out to me on Twitter at SirDRJM and let me know, and I'll get it set up. Now, Thank you very much for listening to episode 47. Of course, uh, I I appreciate everything you do for me, um, and I look forward to watching this weekend's uh, matches in the Overwatch League alongside you, if not in person or uh, even on stream or anything like that, at least in your heart. And before I sign off, I will also mention, I've been streaming on Twitch again. Uh, I did get a new Elgato capture card uh, because my previous one that I was streaming with earlier in uh, this Overwatch League season uh, died. Uh, It was very frustrating because it would work about maybe 25 to 30% of the time, no problems. And I was always like, great, it's working this time. And then almost every other time, well, I mean, not almost, I, I guess... 70-75% of the rest of the time I would go to stream and something wouldn't work and I could not figure it out. I did a lot of testing with my Elgato, eventually figured out that uh, the capture card was just not working. Um, Yes, there was a USB 3.0 problem, 
which was adding to it. But I digress, got a new capture card, and now things are working great again. So right now, I'm I actually, I streamed Overwatch for the first time just the other night. Uh, that said, I'm mostly streaming through Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart, a fantastic PS5 game by the wonderful folks at Insomniac Games. So come follow me on twitch.tv slash SirDrJM. That's SirDRJM, just like all of my socials there, um, and come join, uh, throw throw your hands up in the chat, say something, say hi, tell me that you came from the podcast, um, and I'm happy to uh, engage with you, take you along for the ride there. So uh, with all of that said, thanks again for listening to episode 47 of One Man Watchpoint. Please like, subscribe, share, all that fun stuff, uh, and reach out to me on Twitter with anything you'd like to know. If you want to know my favorite Care Bear, uh, reach out to me on Twitter. Um, I don't know that I have a favorite Care Bear. I don't know why that came into my mind, but it did. Uh, I digress. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you.